God bless you all. My name is Heikki Pekkarinen. I live in Finland with my wife Elizabeth in Hollola in Lahti area. And uh, I like to begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We have to fellowship together like this, reading your word together and learning things from your word as well, written and revealed word that you keep giving to us through your son Jesus Christ. We pray for this morning and we pray for the understanding that the Lord Jesus Christ opens up our understanding through that Holy Spirit that he works in us with. I pray for this in the name of Jesus Christ. The subject is Hebrews 11.1 1, and in today's times I'm binding it together with, for example, the coronavirus right now that we are dealing with in this world. So Hebrews 11.1 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And this verse, I've been working it again and again and again for many, 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 many years. And for many, many, many years I used to think that things not seen refers to the written word of God and his promises in there. That is a good direction to think. But there's a contradiction because we can see the word that is written. And here it's talking about things not seen. And... I didn't really understand what this is before Paul Norcross, a dear friend in America, explained that sold this to me. So the things not seen, they are the revelation that comes from God. Actually today it comes from Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. He coupled these together, these different verses. Actually Romans 10, 17 and then Hebrews 11.6 But I have them all three in here now. Something that is common to those three verses Hebrews 11.1, 1, Romans 10.17 and Hebrews 11.6 is the word faith in English. In Greek it is the word pistis and the same word in all those three verses. And I have these numbers in Hebrews 11.1 1, pistis N3569 and S4102. This N number comes from Novum, which is a Greek Finnish interlinear text of the New Testament with dictionary also. And the same book is published also in Sweden, Swedish, in Norway, Norwegian, and in Danish. And the same numbering is in that book by all those languages. But then this S number is strong numbering so these are words that have greek words that have number in novum the number is this three five six nine and in strong's listing it is number four one oh two this word pistis that's what i give here in, in my notes this information you can go to those books and look up those words and see how they have been defined or how they have been used so Faith is the common thing for these three verses. And that's the reason we are studying them right now. Now, however, these things not seen is the revelation of Jesus Christ. How do I know? In Romans 10, verse 70, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God. Instead of God, there should be Christ. It's Christos in the Greek text. And the word word is here, rema, not logos. Rema stands especially for spoken word, a word that comes right now. So it is referring to all that what Jesus Christ speaks to us right now. Not only the text that in some Bibles is printed by red color in the Gospels or for example in the book of Revelation referring to the words that Jesus Christ once spoke when he was upon the earth. Those are great words but the faith doesn't come only by them. It comes by hearing what the Lord Jesus Christ tells us right now, today, here where we are now. And then it's Hebrews 11.6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. This is God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that God is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So people must believe that God is rewarding them. And it is impossible to please him without faith. And faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. So, therefore, it is impossible to please God without the word of Christ coming to us. And uh, our dear friend Paul Nocros introduced the following to me on the page of 120 of his book, Dining at the Master's Table. He wrote, putting Hebrews 11:6 together with Romans 10:17 reveals that without learning to hear the sound of his, the Lord Jesus Christ's revelation voice, it is literally impossible to please God. I read this again. Putting Hebrews 11:6 together with Romans 10:17 reveals that without learning to hear the sound of his, the Lord's revelation voice, it is literally impossible to please God. And since I am fond of mathematical equations, I would like to present it like this. Hebrews 11.1 1 plus Romans 10.17 plus Hebrews 11.6 equals In order to please God, we must receive a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ and believe it. In order to please God, we must receive revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ and believe it. We continue in verse 1 in Hebrews 11. What I'm now doing, I'm taking this verse word by word. We go through all the words of this verse in the Bible and make word studies on each of them. So, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This word, the substance, what is the substance? What are we talking about in here? This word, the substance, in the Greek is this word, hypostasis. And it is used five times in the New Testament. This is a combination of the prefix, hypo, which means under, and the verb, histemi, which means to stand. 
To stand under is kind of the basic meaning of this word. And according to Thayer's dictionary it means number one, a setting or placing under, a thing put under, substructure, a foundation. That's the first meaning. Second meaning he gives, that which has foundation is firm, hence a that which has actual existence, a substance, real being, b, the substantial quality, nature of any person or thing, c, steadiness of mind, firmness, courage, resolution. And in Josephus's writings we can still find how it is used about confidence, trust and assurance. So this is what you can find from Thayer's. So all this together, when you consider it, so it is something that is firm, like a bottom of a lake. It can be a rock, for example, and you can stand up on it. You cannot perhaps see it, but you can stand up on it. A foundation that doesn't move something that you can build a house upon, something really strong and firm. That's what this word means. In the Finnish Bible it is translated as firm trust. The Finnish words in English are firm trust. And as I said, this is used only five times in the New Testament. When a word is used few times, it gets always a little bit more difficult to really grasps the meaning. So therefore we look at another place in Hebrews 3 how the same exact same word is being used. We do that first. In Hebrews 3 beginning with verse 12 we read, Take heed brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So these words of our confidence are this word hypostasis that is used in here. And now the construction of verse 14 needs a bit correction. The latter part of this verse should be understood like this. If we hold the confidence we had in the beginning steadfast under the end. So in the beginning they had confidence and they were supposed to hold it steadfast under the end. This kind of confidence toward Christ and toward God. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the confidence we had in the beginning steadfast under the end. So we need to keep this confidence to Christ and his speaking to us all the time until the end. This is what it is saying. Now because the word hypostasis is used only five times and the other occurrences that it is used don't really give more light in this context where I want to work it. So therefore 
I looked up for some other synonymous words for hypostasis in order to see if we can learn more about this kind of a trust and confidence in different contexts in the New Testament. Another word which is noteworthy is pitho. This is actually a synonym for pistis, means almost the same as pistis, believing, faith, trust, and it is used 55 times. So it gives a broader picture easily, looking at the places how it is being used. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we begin with verse 8, there it is used. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even our life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust, that he will yet deliver us. So the word trust in verse 9 is this word. I have forgotten to look up this word trust in verse 10. Something similar anyway. But this pitho is in verse 9. The synonymous word for pistis. Translated by trust. Then the same word is used in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Actually in verse 38. For I am persuaded, these words, am persuaded, is pito. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor hate, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he was persuaded, he was absolutely sure about that. By the way, in verse 39, this word creature, it refers to anything else which is created. When I read creature, I think like a cockroach, some kind of a nasty creature. No, anything else which is created that's referring to. The same way there is third word that uh, is related to pitho also. It's a, a noun, pepoithesis. Pepoithesis. That's also used only six times and it is every time translated either trust or confidence in the King James. And this word pepoithesis, the noun, is in 2 Corinthians 3. Let's begin with verse 4. And such trust have we through Christ, such trust have we through Christ to God would, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life later mainly referring to the law of Moses. So instead of rules and stipulations, we are supposed to walk by the Spirit, and the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. 
and therefore we need to be hearing the word of Christ every day. In verse 4, and such, when I read that I feel it's like referring to something that is before, but it actually means this kind of trust, and this kind of trust, referring to such things that come after, like that we are not sufficient in ourselves to think anything or anything like that, but by that spirit we have been made sufficient. Referring to what is said in verses 5 and 6. Okay, we can go back to Hebrews 11.1 1, and look at the next word. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. These words of things hoped for is one word in the Greek. That's elbitso, a verb, which means to hope. That is used 31 times. And the corresponding noun is elpis, which is used 51 times. Elpis, not elvis. Elpis. And now we look at those at the same time. There is an interesting thing about this Greek word elpizo or elpis. According to Greek mythology and according to Greek religions, there was no god from whom there was ever anything real good to be expected of. Therefore, this word doesn't really give the meaning what it is used in the New Testament. The New Testament gives a total new meaning to these words in Greek. It doesn't mean the same in the profane Greek, where it is normally used in the literature. Because of their background in their religion and mythology, they didn't have a good God. This is something that is unique for the God of Old Testament and the God of New Testament. We have the only God that gives us absolutely fantastic hope. And this hope is supposed to be based upon fantastic truths that will take place, will happen in the future. And the best place I can find how these words are used is in Romans 8, 24 and 25. That's like a definition of the word hope. To hope and the hope. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So, hope is used about something that is not yet available. It is coming, for sure it is coming in the future, but it's not yet there. And therefore, this word elbitso is uh, translated in King James many times also with the word trust, or something similar, or even believing, or faith, because they are very close together. Only difference is that when you hope, it is not yet there. And then the main way how this word hope is used in New Testament is regarding the coming of Jesus Christ and the eternal salvation that we will receive then, eternal life. And in Titus chapter 1, let's read verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness. In hope of eternal life which God, 
that cannot lie, promised before the world began. God that cannot lie, he can absolutely not lie. He has promised this eternal life to us. And that is what we hope right now. Okay, there are some little things I've like to correct in these verses. Let's begin again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to, should be for. Paul is for the faith of God's elect and for the knowledge of the truth. He was for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. This is how it should be understood. Uh, the preposition in both places is kata, but in first place it should be understood in meaning of for. And then in verse 2, in hope of eternal life with God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. The words the world began are chronos, times, before times. That cannot lie promised before times. The time began when God created the world. There was no time before that. That's when it began and the times came after. So before these times, right in the beginning, he promised. Now, how could he promise before the world began? Because in order to promise, there got to be somebody who received the promise. There was nobody to receive the promise before the world began. But the people were there after they were created, about the time, about those times when time began. And then all our times have come after. That's what he's talking about. Then Titus 2, we begin with verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present word, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and the glorious appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is coming back and that's what we are hoping for, that he will then put everything right. Verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. We can be zealous of good works because Jesus Christ has redeemed us from all iniquity. This redeeming happens after we get born again. When we continue to go to the Lord, then the Lord will clean our heart, our soul, of all iniquity, and then we become able ministers to be able to do zealously all good works. And then this word hope is used also like normally people use it. They hope this, they hope that, and it may come or it may not come. In Acts 27 verse 20 it says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. I believe Luke is writing it. He was traveling with Paul. They were in a ship on the way to Rome, from Caesarea to Rome, and there was a great storm, and they got shipwrecked. And 
during these days they lost or Luke perhaps rather lost the hope because Paul definitely didn't. Paul had instructions from the Lord Jesus Christ and the angel of the Lord that he's going to be saved and all the people that are with him. And then we go to Romans about Abraham. Romans 4 18 to 21. Who against hope? So Abraham against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So there are two different renderings to this verse in the Greek text. One is with the particle no or not, which is in Greek u. If you keep that u in the text, the understanding is like this, latter part of the verse. He did not look at his own now dead body, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, when he was about a hundred years old. So he knew that his body was dead, he was not capable anymore to have children, but he didn't look at it. However, the evidence is strong that the particle U is not in the text. Therefore you just drop the particle not and change neither to and like this. He considered his own body now dead and the deadness of Sarah's womb when he was about a hundred years old. So he saw this fact but he didn't look at it, he didn't dwell on it because in verse 20 it says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God. The interesting thing is that in order to be strong in faith, he gave glory to God. I often wondered whether it took 25 years before he finally gave glory to God. Is that the reason? I don't know. I just don't know why it took 25 years. But whatever God had said, that was fulfilled and Isaac was born. And being fully persuaded, that's Another Greek word, and the number is there if you want to look up. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he was able also to perform. So, now we continue in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, the evidence of things not seen. Now we look at this word, evidence in here. It is the word elenkos and now it is used only two times in the New Testament and therefore it requires more consideration and there is help because the verb form of this elenkos is this word elenko, verb elenko, that's used 17 times so it helps us in understanding what it means. However, according to Thayer's, this word elenkos has meanings. Number one is a proof, that by which a thing is proved or tested. And the second meaning is conviction, for convicting one of his sinfulness. That's according to Thayer's. The second place where this elenkos is used 
is 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So instruction in righteousness is doctrine, reproof and correction. The word, the written word, the scripture is for this purpose. That's the purpose of the written word. It is profitable for these purposes. For doctrine, reproof and correction. Now, we have always, or I have always thought about reproof. That is about when you do something wrong. But actually, when you consider how it is used in Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it's used here in 2 Timothy 3.16, the emphasis is not really on somebody doing wrong. The emphasis is what is right. The instruction, the inspiration of God, the scripture, what came from God, that is right. It is correct. It's trustworthy. It is foundation. You can build something upon it. Alright, elenko is the verb form that's used and it's many times translated by to reprove. So Thayers gives the following meanings. Number one, to convict, to refute, confute. Number two, to find fault with, correct. And then A to A by word, verbally. To reprehend civilly, chide, admonish, reprove. This is what Thayers gives for it. So we look up few places of this verb elenko. Now, Matthew 18:15. there it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So, if your brother does something wrong to you, and then you go and tell it him, you reprove him. And if he hears you, then you have gained your brother. Then let's go to Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 9. And this is in the middle of the record of an adulterous woman being found, and they brought her to Jesus Christ in order to tempt him with the situation. Verse 9, it says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even under the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Let's read the whole story, beginning with verse 1. John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Verse 2. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. Well, it doesn't say what he wrote. 
But I'm pretty sure about that. While he stooped down, he asked the father how he should handle the situation and what he should say. Then it continues, verse 7, it says, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And now in the Greek text, that is without sin, is anamartetos, that word, and it is provided with article whole in front of it. So in Greek there can be article or no article. And when there is an article then it is like the definite article in other languages. So it emphasizes what is said. And therefore I wrote with bold this he because that is seen there. He that is without sin. Let him first cast a stone at her. So what does that mean? It cannot be talking about just any sin. Because there are sins that didn't require a punishment of death penalty. They didn't require death as punishment. Therefore, I really think that he was referring to any sins that would require death penalty. That also the others in that group that came accusing this woman had committed. Not necessarily the same as she, but some others. So therefore I gathered together some of them. Here are some of the sins which were punished with the death penalty according to the law of Moses. First I have this, adultery. Someone who commits adultery. Then a man that lies with his father's wife. Or if a man lies with his daughter-in-law. If a man lies with another man as he lies with a woman. And if a man takes wife and her mother, marries them both. And if a man lies with the beast, he that smiteth on a purpose a man, so that he dies. And he that smiteth his father or his mother, and he that curses his father or his mother. And he that steals a man and sells him, or keeps him, who does not keep the Sabbath, who gives his children to Molech, and then I have some places for that. A man, also a woman, that has a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard. And he that blasphemes the name of the Lord. These were all sins that deserved the penalty of death. So, we continue in verse 8. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even under the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So in verse 9, when they heard it, they were convicted. Convicted, okay, they were wrong. But the point is that they so strongly saw it, how wrong they were, that they just left. The point is in the strength of the truth, that it really is so, that is true, 
they saw it, their own conscience proved. Look, according to the law of Moses, you did that, or you did that other thing. Every one of them found something, and they knew they have to go. They didn't have the right to throw the first stone, because they would have been stoned themselves for what they had done earlier, probably. Okay, we continue with Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Of things not seen is exactly the same as we can read in Finnish or Greek. In the Greek also is talking about things that you can see. So let's look at it again a little bit more. And we continue in Hebrews 11. We begin with verse 5. And we begin with verse 5 because in the context we need to see what it says in verse 5 in order to fully understand what it says in verse 6. So verse 5. By faith Enoch was translated, should be transported, it means to be moved away, that he should not see death, and was not found. He was not found because God had moved him for before his transportation or moving away he had this testimony that he pleased God he pleased God verse 6 but without faith it is impossible to please him whom God in the same context verse 5 it says God but without faith it is impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Then comes verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. So when we think about what happened, it says in verse 7, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, is referring to the rain. God told Noah there is going to be rain. There had not been rain before. There had not been one drop of rain before. Noah had never seen any rain. Nobody else had ever seen any rain. But God told Noah it's going to be raining. And a lot. It's going to be raining so much that everything that breathes is going to die, is going to drown. Therefore, build a boat, build an ark, big enough to take all these animals and your family in there, so that I might save thee. Think about this, there had never been a drop of rain, and Noah believed it, to the point that he started to build the ark. Okay, we can see that he must have seen around himself people that were doing evil things and more evil things all the time and then when he started to build the ark god must have been giving day after day after day instructions how to build it so he had connection with the father all the time but still he had never seen the water rain down and he started to build the ark think about people come there he's building the ark they ask what do you do i build a boat or why do you build a boat? Because there's going to be rain. And they laughed him into scorn and went away, probably. Nobody else believed. Now when it says, by the which he condemned the world, 
the which refers to his faith. So by his faith he condemned the world. How did he condemn the world? He went to the ark and was saved. Everybody else stayed upon the earth and they drowned. Let's look at Hebrews 11.1 1 once more. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I used my imagination and all these results of the word studies we did before and started to put it together. So this is now my expanded translation of this verse, Hebrews 11.1, 1, expanded with the knowledge gathered from the word studies we made and by my imagination. And it sounds like this. Faith is the strong trusting, the firm foundation of things hoped for, the evidence, the absolute certainty of the integrity of the unseen information which is given by revelation. I read it again. Faith is the strong trusting, the firm foundation of things hoped for, the evidence, the absolute certainty of the integrity of the unseen information which is given by revelation. How do we apply this? How do we use this knowledge? For example, in, in light of the situation with coronavirus, I must explain to you some foundation first. Even in the Old Testament, some things were true which are true today. Let's go to Ezekiel 33, verses 10 and 11, it says, Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye spake, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way, and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? So the situation with Israel at that time was somewhat different than today. At that time they were the only people of God upon the earth. And basically everything else occasionally was against them. So God had to do special things in order to save them and protect them. Today, believers are among all other people, all over the place, in all nations. You cannot really say that one nation is God's nation, other nation is not. Except the Israelites are still Israelites, God's nation. But the believing ones are all over the place, among the other people. And therefore, for example, in Romans 11 it says, let's read Romans 11.25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, by your own intelligence. That blindness should be hardness, that hardness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And the fullness refers to the full number of Gentiles, the amount of Gentiles becoming believers. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. So, there is a number that God has set 
a number of Gentiles that will come, that amount of Gentiles who will become believers. I don't know the number and I don't know when it's going to be fulfilled. However, in order to fulfill that, there is absolutely no sense that God would go around killing people. The one that kills people is the devil. He has joy in killing people. The devil has. It says in John 10.10, 10, The thief, the devil, cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I, Jesus Christ says, I am come that they, the people, might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So the one that kills people with coronavirus is the devil. Then I would like to elaborate a little bit on Psalm 91. Let's begin with verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Now, who is he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High? Most High is God. Who is he that dwelleth in the secret place? Alright, that is written by David. We can think David and people like him that believed God. But when you think about this psalm altogether, it is a prophetic psalm. It's prophesying about Jesus Christ. It's explaining how God was toward Jesus Christ. Therefore, he that dwelleth in the secret place is Jesus Christ. Now, once we are born again, there is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And therefore, we get involved also. We can say, this is written about us. But it's not automatic. However, I need to explain something more. This secret place, in Hebrew it is a word that expresses more than just secrecy. It expresses also protection. For example, in the Finnish Bible it's translated, He that dwelleth in the protection of the Most High. So it is a secret place which is also a protection place, like a bomb shelter. During the Second World War, for example, when they were bombing Helsinki, people had to go to the bomb shelter to be protected. If they stayed outside and the bombs came, they would die. You had to go to the shelter. The same way he that dwelleth in the secret place has to go to the secret place to dwell in there in order to be protected. What does it mean to dwell in the secret place or the, in the protection place, in the safe house? What does it mean? Okay, we see that it's not necessarily a place upon the earth or a room or a bomb shelter. It is spiritually used in here. It means that place when you have connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, you hear what he says, you can hear his warning. And then when there is a danger coming, he can warn you and you can move to another place where there is no danger. Or you can, according to his instructions, turn against what is threatening you. Whatever it is that he tells you to do, you can do it. So how do we go to that secret place? We pray to God. We speak in tongues. As we speak in tongues, our understanding is not fruitful. It is free. And therefore the Lord Jesus Christ can talk to us 
at the same time as we speak in tongues. We can speak in tongues and he talks to us and he tells us what we need to know in order to protect us, for example. Let's continue in Psalm 91, verse 5. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Now pestilence is like plague, and then destruction is again another Hebrew word for sickness or disease that spreads all over the place. I would like to say this is very similar to our situation right now with the coronavirus. Verse 7. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. It does not come nigh thee, because you are protected. But you are not protected automatically. You need to go to the secret place. When you are in the secret place, when you are in a protected place, then you are safe. Then it doesn't come nigh you. We continue verse 10. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. So this protection works as we do what the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to do. So when Jesus Christ was up on the earth, he did not do anything by his own initiative. He did everything according to the will of the Father. He was all the time seeking the fellowship with the Father and asking him for what to do. Sometimes he prayed whole nights in order to receive the right instructions what to do. For example, when he was choosing his disciples. However, it says in John 15 verse 5, Jesus Christ says, I am the wine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Alright, in the context here is bringing forth much fruit. So we can do that without him. Because without him we can do nothing. We can do nothing without him. So we need to seek the fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to seek to hear his voice. That we can hear what he wants us to do and that he can give us advice how we can be protected. Let's continue in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, there it says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, what a great fight I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, Christ, in whom, in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They are hidden in Christ. Right now, we need to seek and we need to get in touch with Christ in order to learn this wisdom and this knowledge that he has. All these treasures of these things. That is the way how God can protect us. That is the way how we can help people.
Now in context of coronavirus, initially I asked the Lord Jesus Christ on the 8th of February concerning the coronavirus. He answered at that time and told us to turn against the virus by commanding it in the name of Christ Jesus to suffocate to extinction in our own areas and to command his angels to protect all people, especially in the risk groups. So he gave us authority to do that. Then he told us to pray that God would raise up believers worldwide to believe in their authority in Christ Jesus to pray and command these things in their own countries that God would inspire them to do the same that Jesus Christ would give them instructions how to do it then the Lord told me to share about these instructions first with believers in Finland and then with my friends in other countries and I did so then he gave instructions to us through Ilkka, Ilkka Kauppi, our brother in Jyväskylä, Finland. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted us to direct all discussions regarding the coronavirus to God and himself, and the deliverance and salvation not only of this disease, but all other obstacles the adversary throws at the believers during these end times. He told us to dispel the fear which is spreading, to dispel it by preaching faith and love in Christ Jesus. Now he wants us to continue the command and pray and preach according to his instructions. We should command that the virus gets weaker and weaker and weaker until it dies out completely. So I invite you to join us in this situation. I suggest that you turn to God and pray in the name of Jesus Christ, worship him by speaking in tongues, and ask the Lord Jesus Christ for specific instructions about what to do, and what to pray for, what to command, and how to help people, and how to minister healing to them, and how to preach the gospel in your own areas. And I read once more this, my expanded translation I made of Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the strong trusting, the firm foundation of things hoped for, the evidence, the absolute certainty of the integrity of the unseen information which is given by revelation. Faith is the strong trusting, the firm foundation of things hoped for, the evidence, the absolute certainty of the integrity of the unseen information which is given by revelation. And to finish with, I would like to encourage you, encourage you by the words of Colossians 3.15 where it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called in one body, and be ye thankful.